Hi, this is Trent Knox, podcast producer and videographer for Robert Gardner Wellness. I just wanted to thank you for listening to this episode. It means a lot to Robert and I that you would take the time out of your day to hear what Robert and his guests have to say. May I ask you of a quick favor? If you have gotten any value out of this podcast, please subscribe to the podcast, leave a comment, and share the link on social media. Once again, thank you for your support and enjoy the rest of the episode. Robert Gardner of Robert Gardner Wellness. I'm here with Sean Kitzman, and I'd like Sean to briefly introduce himself. I suspect this is going to be one of many podcasts that Sean and I do. So, Sean, tell us a little bit about yourself and where people can find you or more information about you. Well, thanks for having me on, Robert. Um, it's always great to chat with you. Um, let's see. My name is Sean Kitzman. Uh, I'm a, I started massage therapy in 2000, went to school in 97. Uh, I currently live in Minnesota. Um, I have a private practice here where I do movement re-education. Uh, and I also do some coaching um, for massage therapists to help them uh, fill their practice with clients who value their work and that they love to work with, or as I call them, true fans. You can go on the Facebook and the Instagram and just look up Sean Kitzman, um, and uh, then you can kind of navigate through there as well. And then my website is seankitzman.com. Pretty, pretty, you know, unoriginal. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, same thing with me. If you look up Robert Gardner uh, related to massage or time massage, you can find me wherever. Right. So, Sean, you and I have, um, I don't know, I don't want to say similar backgrounds, but we've talked to no talked enough to know that there are some common interests and I just wanted to bring you on. Um, We had no scripted, you know, we're going to talk about this specifically. I know with you, that's absolutely not necessary. Um, What's, uh, what's eating at you these days? Like, what are you dealing with and seeing that you'd like to discuss? Um, You know, from a, from a professional side in the, in the massage industry, one of the things that I'm hoping that people start to wrap their brains around, um, is that we need to stop looking so much at, at, the, at the tissue as the end-all, be-all and start to recognize that the brain is the most important part of the damn, whole damn project, right? Yeah. And, and start to think about, you know, um, if you're going – and this is, this is for people who work with people with injuries as well. Like if you're a sponsor or salon service – um, obviously this doesn't apply to you directly, but if you are not in that setting and you have a private practice and you make your money, uh, you know, helping clients with injuries or you even purport that you do, cause that's the other thing, like, you know, um, but anyways, you, we need to realize that the brain and, and, and interfacing with the brain, um, is, is really the key into the whole entire thing. And if you're going to get really good at it, you're going to have to take CEUs for that. And you're also going to have to start to think about things outside of the massage purview, right? Yeah. And it's not always stretching, you know? Um, people need to be stronger. And it's one of the things that, um, you know, I, I see people have a lot of, of misconception with. And, you know, they're also breaking down. You know, this is a whole t- kind of turn in the industry because of the, the playing field being leveled of exactly what you and I are doing right here in that, 15 years ago, it would have cost us so much money to host our own radio show, and now we can do it for next to nothing. So the, 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 the technology is starting to speed up, and one of the things that I'm really concerned about that I see a lot with is that the, the massage industry as a whole, you know, they're, they're really kind of falling farther and farther behind. Yeah, I, I have a mixed response to that specifically um, in regards to education, in regards to information flow. I don't really worry so much about the industry as a whole or where is it going. Um, I just try to take advantage of what I know exists and just outperform. Um, Sure. You know, learn as fast as I can. And I think that you and I, um, if any educator I think I would talk with, I think has a similar perspective. I don't think you or I rest on our laurels. No. I think we have a tendency to like, man, ah, there's so much I don't know. Like, how do I figure out more? Um, and you certainly, uh, with like movement education or movement re-education, you know much more about that. I've heard before previously when we've had conversations, you'd break um, massage down into, was it correctives, uh, tissue treatment, and what assessment. was the other one? Assessment. assessment. Yeah. Yeah. 
And the thing is, the correctives are probably the point at which I'm the weakest on. The next would probably be assessment. Um, I do sure. a lot of, you know, manual therapy, which is great. Sure. But I think it's good to, and in America right now, this is a contentious, I think it's good to understand your opponent's argument. Sure. It's good to understand enough about the pain science community to then debate those things, look at the research, you know, continue to grow and evolve. Like I used to become frustrated as an educator that massage schools weren't teaching therapists certain things. And then you realize, one, they've only got 500 hours in Texas. Right. Two, you're going to make all of your money by teaching the things they didn't teach in school. So just right. don't. So in a weird way, it kind of gives us an advantage if we're willing to adapt to technology and evolve more rapidly. I, and I think that you you bring up something that's really super important there. And I and I see this as well. Like so back in '97, when you know shortly after we walked on the moon and you know people rubbed sticks together and created fire. <laughs> um, but back in '97, when we you know when I went to school. I was a thousand hour hands-on program and I was the last one of the last thousand hour hands-on programs in, in Michigan. Um, and you know, the bonus of, of the school that I went to as far as massage went is they had a really nice kind of like, they showed some subtle energy techniques. They showed some more of the clinical side. And then the, their idea was um, we're going to expose you to both of these things. You're going to, then if you'd like to continue on, on with the advanced practice uh, kind of continue on with your courses um, after you get your, your certificate, um, you're going to go either subtle or you're going to go clinical. You might take both of them, but eventually you're going to come back around to the same place. Um, but they, they did a really good job of teaching us, like, look, you've got the basics, and that's what our job was. And if you, if you work really hard and you're creative enough, then you can get to wherever you want to with it. Um, and I thought that was a really interesting thing as well. Um, but but schools are that schools are are designed to not make you dangerous, also to cover their own asses, right? Um, and then you know like give you the basics of work. My, so my wife is a nurse practitioner, nurse mid, nurse midwife, and massage therapy is really similar to the nursing profession. And there's a number of places that you can enter the profession. Right. So you can just go to school, get your associates and and, you know, be a, uh, an RN or you can get your bachelor's and be a BSN. You can go to you know, you can go all the way up and get your Ph.D., which eventually my wife um, will wind up doing. But like the thing, the, the problem with those things, though, is as well is like along the way, what happens is that, you know, um, people get really intimidated by by people with more education um, in, in the field. And, and, I, and I see that oftentimes as well. And we have to remember that, you know, if we're going to, and, and here's how I look at the way that when I start running into issues repeatedly, it, it lets me know we were earlier on off camera, we were talking about video games, right? So um, it lets me know that I've leveled up, right? But I need to go on another quest to level up again. Right. Because I'm running into this thing repeatedly. And the only uh, now I can do that a number of ways. But the most the quickest way is to do it through CEUs. Right. Because you can take a course over a weekend or a week or whatever it is or a series of courses. And within a year or two, you can be very proficient at doing that thing. And it's and it's not a money grab for the providers and it's not a money grab for the schools. We just have to remember, like you were just saying, you know, that the schools and the CU providers play two completely different roles. Yeah, very different. Yeah. No. And God, I hope there's never one. Yeah. Oh, um, so yes, there's not a PhD in massage. Um, what was the name again? Tcash, there's not a PhD in massage, and and here's where a place that Robert and I will agree on, and lots of people are going to hate us about. Um, <laughs> uh, I I pray to God there will never be a PhD in massage, um, because you know, as my friend, so I have this friend of mine that's uh, uh he used to be on Wall Street, and you know his joke is PhD is piled higher deeper, right? <laughs> so um, I I just don't see the benefit of it, and. 
you know, the, the thing with massage, um, where a lot of people, where, where I will debate with them is they will talk about more education is better, you know, as far as like formal education. And, uh, I'll go back to my wife, right? So my wife has a master's from Georgetown university, which is one of the best nursing programs in the country. Um, she regularly has to battle with OBGYNs about the viability of her profession, of her license, you know, and of her craft. And she has a master's from one of the most prestigious universities for nursing in the country. Yes. Florence Nightingale taught at who is the, you know, the, 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 the OG nurse she taught at Georgetown. So I, there's there's a line of chiropractors and physical therapists and PTAs and osteopaths and you know chiropractors assistants and and athletic trainers there's a line of them that are waiting for us to keep if we got if we tried to jump into that they would completely want to burn us down because that's the pecking order of how it goes yeah I also think, um, in my experience, what I've noticed is, let's say I'm talking to a chiropractor. If I'm talking to a chiropractor who has a movement-based practice and is a little more interdisciplinary, so he's yep. got a Brazilian jiu-jitsu background or something, immediately my sense of him is um, there's a little bit more respect because I feel like he's digging outside of that one thing. Like, yep. I actually liked talking to Walt Fritz because he's a physical therapist. It's similar, but not exactly the same. You know, I like talking to you because you have a movement re-education background, which I'm really interested in. Like you're someone that I'd like to take classes with to try to sure. supplement what I'm already doing. Um, people who are interdisciplinary, I actually like more because what I see, for instance, between massage and yoga, I see these same debates on Facebook forums where, they're reinterpreting yoga and saying, well, maybe BKS Iyengar didn't have the alignment right. Maybe skeletal structure dictates. And it's like, sure, the, the processes, the practices evolve. When I feel like somebody's a one-trick pony, it starts to um, – their vision starts to become myopic and very mm -hmm. And I feel like they're not looking at a broader picture of what's going on. Um, preferably, even though I don't like those uh, power structures and that pecking order you talked about, I do want to be able to sit down with uh, physical therapists, trainers, yoga teachers, other people, and just be able to shed a little bit of light sure. to be able to bring those, those um, professions a little bit closer intellectually. Well, the, the bonus of that, too, um, in 2019 and going into 2020 is that massage therapy is far more accepted today than it, than it was 20 years ago when I got into the industry or 22 years ago when I went to school, right? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a much, you, you have, you know, GPs or, you know, uh, 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 you know, orthosurgeons who will, ref, who will say, well, maybe you need to get a massage, you know? Um, and it's a much more viable profession. And also because again of technology, you know, I've been to courses where I have good friends of mine that I've met through CEUs that are chiropractors and physical therapists and athletic trainers. Um, 20 years ago, you could not sit them all in the same room at one time. It was not possible for, you know, uh, that to open up. And, and like, I think if you go back eight to 10 years ago, Eh, about eight years ago, and when you know F when Gray Cook was really pushing FMS and or the functional movement screen, and then eventually the SFMA, you know, massage therapists could take the FMS, but they couldn't take the SFMA. But athletic train, you know, I mean, and he it pissed off a lot of massage therapists, me included. I'll never take SFMA, right? Just yeah. based on principle now, because there's far more ways that I can get around it. Um, yeah, but but you know, it's, it's broken down now at a completely different level where you can start to have conversations. And if you have the right person, you know, that, that, that is interested in the, the study of the human body, regardless of whatever your training is, um, then, then you can start to have those conversations. Very, just a quick break. For a limited time, Robert Gardner Wellness is offering a free 30-day trial of his industry-leading subscription service, Reboot Insiders Club. That's right. Your first month is free of charge, and after that, it's only $7 per month to continue your subscription. 
Don't worry, you can cancel at any time, and if you cancel before the 30 days, you will not be charged. Inside, you'll learn massage and body techniques and how to thrive in business for only $7 per month. You get access to over 350-plus hours of online classes, including table and mat work and business and marketing. Membership to our Facebook group exclusively for subscribers. And additionally, you'll receive occasional bonuses. And in the past, we've given additional NCBTMB approved home study courses with CE credit. So don't wait. Get your free trial today. Head on over to R-G-W-E-L-L-N-E-S-S dot S-T-O-R-E. That's rgwellness.store. Can't wait for you to join our subscription service. I'm Robert Gardner, and I'm here with Sean Kitzman. Uh, Sean, if you can introduce yourself just briefly again, tell people where they can find you. I believe your website is seankitzman.com. Yep, Sean, S-H-A-W-N-K-I-T-Z-M-A-N.com. You can find me on Facebook and Instagram um, under the same thing, and then you can kind of get to me you know, through all of that. Both of those are public profiles, so if you decide that you – you know, or can't sleep at night and want to listen to me rant on, then, you know, like it's, I've heard it's good for insomnia. <laughs> so we were talking about um, interdisciplinary uh, findings, interdisciplinary research, uh, collaboration across industries between personal trainers, yoga teachers, yeah. massage therapists, chiropractors. Um, I'm glad that there's a little more of that going on now, and I suspect much like you that because of the technology and interface that we have via podcasts and social media, that there will be an increasing amount of that. I've also noticed um, I follow a gentleman on, I think I've asked you before about this, uh, Functional Patterns on Instagram. Sure. And he's, I don't know the guy's name who runs it, but boy, is he good at polarizing the audience. He takes no flack from anyone and just smacks people around it's, in the it's comments. It's naughty, right? Yeah. Naughty Aguilar? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, um, I, I'm interested, one, intellectually about what he's saying, and then also from a marketing standpoint, he's engaging in a really higher degree of polarization than even I do. In my industry, all I have to do is post a, a video of me sitting on a colleague and I get banned from Facebook groups. Sure. So um, the lines are a little uh, different. Um, I'm certainly representing something different in the marketplace. And then also I think within Massage Entrepreneurs, the Facebook group, I don't think a lot of, the, of our colleagues – really understand what you're doing in your practice, not your coaching practice, sure, but in your practice. And I've talked to you enough to go, oh man, your correctives are like off the charts um, in a different angle that I just don't know. Sure. I was just kind of haphazardly going, oh yeah, to clients, you know, do some yoga. Sure. Because that's about as much as I have sure. in relation to, okay, Put them in triangle pose. How does this feel? And they're like, well, it's tight on my leg. Okay, well, let's, let's shift and adjust. But I don't have a lot of specificity. Mm -hmm. And that's something I'm interested in looking at more because the, the more I dealt with yoga, that's what I find interesting. The more I dealt with massage, I went, hmm, what is massage? And the more I dealt with yoga, I went, hmm, what is yoga? And both camps started to get angry at me. <laughs> yeah, that's why I've, you know, like – well, for a long time, I've just I, like if you look at my card. Oh, I have one right here, right? So if you look at my card, uh, it says movement architect, um, because I don't do massage any longer. Like I don't do any soft tissue. I do soft tissue release, but very little. Like I haven't put clients under sheets and spread lotion in uh, going on eight years now, or so, seven years. Sorry, seven years. Um, yeah, and for me, the big influence for me was. Um, when I, when I initially took neurokinetic therapy or NKT, um, and, you know, depending on who you talk to, that can be as polarizing as you want it to be. Um, but when I took the NKT, and, and what NKT is, for those of people who don't know, it's an assessment. It's a manual muscle testing assessment course, and it looks, like, looks at motor control. Um, so when I took NKT, um, that started to – because when, when, when I saw uh, Feldenkrais's book um, – Awareness through movement or ATM back in the late nineties, I bought it at borders in Ann Arbor, which is even open anymore. Um, but I bought it and like, I didn't, 
know what Moshe was doing, but God, it just sounded like, oh, super cool. And there was no way for me really to um, access it without getting out to like uh, California or New York or one of the places. Um, And I didn't have that that availability at the time, but I was always interested in movement. Um, And I looked at Thai massage. Like I had a, I bought a Thai massage book in 99, right? Like, um, and my, my ex-wife had a, a structural yoga book um, and I flirted around with those things. And I think that they're fantastic things. So my work was always, I always wanted to be more movement-based. And when I took NKT um, in 2012, that allowed me to do that. But what really allowed me to really get off the, my clients off the table and up and moving and being able to assess them and then also help them understand where they have these dark spaces at in their movement patterns was anatomy and motion, uh, Gary Ward's work. Um, because what Gary did is he broke down gait in seven phases and three planes of motion. And uh, it, be- it becomes more about looking at what the skeleton does and how then the skeleton eccentrically or concentrically loads tissue. So if like, we'll just take easy enough, we'll take supination and pronation in the foot. Um, if you have, and, and we'll look at like planners, right? So if you have an, a, 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 an overly inverted foot or what some people would call a supinated foot um, or a high arch, the, the oftentimes you'll get planners with that because that doesn't, the foot isn't allowed to pronate enough. So it won't eccentrically load that adductor hallucis and that plantar fascia. So what I do with that is I reintroduce pronation into it um, because then when I eccentrically load it, the brain goes, oh, I have this back. I don't need to stay supinated all the time. And that tissue doesn't need to be concentrically loaded all the time. And so Gary really helped me to understand that as I went through anatomy and motion and as I tried to put it into play. And then how did that affect the progress in your practice? Because when you were studying this, were you still doing tissue work? Well, no, I was doing more. So, so typically what you do with NKT, I was doing, so I went from, uh, in 2012, when I, when I hosted David Weinstock, um, uh, I was, I was starting to work with, so I worked with, uh, elite level youth athletes. I traveled with a nationally competitive soccer team for three seasons um, and in my community, I was kind of known as the go-to guy for elite level youth athletes. Um, and so, uh, I was, it didn't make sense for young kids to come in, spend an hour underneath sheets on the table when I couldn't assess and reassess them by, you know, hold on, get dressed. I'm going to go out of the room, come back in. Okay. Run around. All right, uh, get undressed, get underneath the sheets again. I'll come back in. So what I would just do is I would have them come in and do uh, half-hour sessions with clothes on. Um, And that allowed me to get them off the table. Then when I took NKT, what that allowed me to do was start to break out some of the hierarchy of motor control um, through the manual muscle testing to figure out what was over-dominant and what was was the, the overplaying factor and the underplaying factor. So I was doing mostly that with some with some movement re-education stuff along with that, because when you release tissue, uh, if you're going to look at facilitation inhibition, you're going to release a facilitator, but then you have to reintroduce some sort of movement pattern so that the brain picks up like that inhibited structure or that down-regulated structure needs to become more active because if it doesn't, it's just going to go back to that facilitated or, or that overactive and underactive, uh, uh, stuff. So when I took anatomy in motion, um, I, I came back and like the only thing that I could really grab a hold of was pronation. Um, it was the only thing that I really understood in the model because the model is, oh, I don't have it right here. The model is an Excel spreadsheet of 244 boxes. Um, yeah. And so, you know, when like with the model, like the only thing I could wrap my brain around was just get the arch to collapse and I'll figure it out from there. Um, so once that happened, I started to play around with that. So every client, that's what I do with every client, like, you came in. I didn't care if you had ear pain. We're going to get you to pronate, damn it. Yeah. So I could play around with it enough. And then over time, you just continued to tweak and refine what you were observing in clients? Yeah. From there, what, what happened was, so, so again, you know, Gary's broken down human movement, essentially, or, the, or a gait in, you know, seven phases and three planes of motion. So from there, like, oh, now I... 
I can start to see when the foot's not moving the way it should. Oh, okay, cool. Um, well, that's no longer helping my client. Oh, look, the knee doesn't, the, the tibia internally rotates before the femur. Yeah. Oh, we should probably change that. Oh, that's no longer helping my client. Oh, the pelvis needs to anteriorly tilt. Oh, that's no longer. So I just slowly work my way up through the chain because the, you know, the, the model, the flow motion model that Gary uses um, or teaches that allows you to do that. Yeah. Um, but it's when so I, damn dense that I couldn't get wrap my brain around it at first. Yeah, you know? when I when I teach classes, because um, I'm still pretty squarely in a time massage related camp as far as education is concerned. Our uh, rebrand for a trademark failed, so I'm kind of back at the drawing board, and my work will always be influenced biomechanically as far as tissue techniques are concerned by the biomechanics of time massage. In my intro tie workbook. I go over sun lines, which are the energy lines and time massage. But when I was taught these, it was never taught to me like, Robert, these are literally magic energy lines that run sure. through the body. It was sure. always like, no, no, listen, the Sibsen are just like the basic lines that a teacher would teach a student. And my understanding of it was just work these lines as a basic framework, and then it'll just kind of make more sense as you do it. I still use those basics in my intro tie class, and I've noticed a distinct shift in the last, say, eight years where students, even though I still cover it because if they leave my class and decide to go take a traditional time massage class, I want them to have some frame of reference. But they understood, oh, it's just like, a, it's just like scales. He's just teaching us scales so we can start yeah. to improvise and play jazz. Like yeah. he wasn't he wasn't thinking this is literally a manifestation of a magic line. And it's like, no, 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 The way I would tell them is my assumption is in a culture that had an Asian culture that had more of a lineage uh, based um, teacher student framework, you know, they would give you the Sibsen and then say, go do 10,000 sessions. Yep. And I guarantee you, you won't work those lines in exactly the same way, but I understand the, basic underpinning um, energetically to be able to like, why would a, a teacher give that to a student? Yeah. Just give them something to get started with. Um, as it developed, it was me as a Westerner looking at musculoskeletal anatomy, looking at send lines, looking at say eventually trigger point therapy and referring yep. pain patterns. And then when I looked at it, I went, oh, man, this is all the same stuff. They're just using slightly different language to communicate about it. And I've, I've done fairly well, at least intellectually, as a former philosophy student at <laughs> taking on certain ideas for you know, a concept and framework to try to understand things where I can also perform what I call in philosophy a thought experiment, which is sure. we think something, but we don't hold it as part of ourselves. We just go, well, what if this is the case? And I find that's really challenging for a lot of people. They don't have that same skill. So I tend to not be religious, if you will, about certain camps and the way they look at things. So I think even from what you're talking about, Sean, there are people in the pain science community who would go, oh, no, oh, no, for no. Sure. You know, other than you said it's about the brain, the nervous system, they'll yep. start to, you know, assessments, you know, hand, muscle testing, ah, you know, they just seem to trash everything. But I feel like there's a common language being spoken, but there's no what I would call a unified field theory yet. Yeah, the, the problem becomes is that we start to argue about semantics. Yeah. And, and then when we once we get into semantical arguments, then it's it's ridiculous. You know, I mean, like I I've. I, I, here's the only thing I care about. Does my client get better? I yeah. tell my clients all the time. I, I would love if I could come in, if I could figure this out, I would totally do this, by the way. <laughs> if I could come in, set a pencil on your forehead, walk out the door, go get a cup of coffee and a muffin at Starbucks and read for 45 minutes and come back and charge you full boat, I would, so long as you get better. Yes. I'm not, I'm not married to anything. Yeah. Um, now, the, the other end of that is, is from my martial arts background. I know that um, if you're going to become proficient at something, you have to go through the struggles and the trials and the tribulations of sucking at it. 
So, you know, like you have to be prepared if you're going to, I was just talking. So, uh, before we got on, I was, I was at jujitsu and I teach a, an intro to MMA class. And I was telling one of my students this morning, you know, um, if there's five areas in jujitsu, if there's five like positions, um, that you're going to attack from, you know, in, in uh, the, the belt color system in jujitsu goes white, blue, purple, brown, black. You can legit be a white, you could be a purple belt or a brown belt or a black belt and legit be a white belt at one area because you just never spent any time there. And so, you know, I think that that's the other thing that I, I really try to encourage people to do because like they're really, they're, they're really um, afraid of risk. But yeah. if you've developed a good enough relationship with your clients, like I have a client, so um, I work with a lot of athletes um, and I'm starting to work with a ton of pitchers. Um, and what I've done is I've taken the anatomy and motion model and broke it a little bit um, to fit pitching. And, and I'm actually in the process of, of I'm mapping out pitching mechanics biomechanically. Um, and so, um, but if when my client comes in on Friday and he comes in with his, his uh, teammate that has never seen me before, I guarantee you, I could tell my client, I'm going to take, you know, a hairdryer and blow it on him. And he's like, oh, cool, whatever. I don't care. <laughs> like if you've developed a good enough relationship with your client and, yeah. and you've provided them with positive outcomes, most of the time they're going to be very interested in your growth because ultimately it helps them out as well. And, and there's this really cool thing because they can say, oh, I remember. Do you remember when we were first started doing this and you were really bad at this and I helped you out with it? It gives them some ownership of your growth as well. If you're enjoying this episode and you would like to support Robert Gardner Wellness, head on over to rgwellness.store to see all of the products that we currently have in our marketplace. Uh, as well as earlier mentioned, there was the free, first month free, uh, the ins Insiders Club, Reboot Insiders Club. There's also workbooks, uh, DVDs digital copies, digital downloads. There's a bunch of different things um, inside of the RG Wellness store. I highly recommend you go on over there and check it out. See if there's something that will help you improve your practice and increase your clients or, your, or knowledge with your students. And uh, once again, that's rgwellness.store. Thank you for listening to this episode. Hey guys, it's Robert Gardner and I'm here with Sean Kitzman. That's uh, SeanKitzman.com. That's it's S-H-A-W-N-K-I-T-Z-M-A-N, SeanKitzman.com. But uh, Sean, you can introduce yourself. You said they can find you on, uh, I believe, Instagram and Facebook. Yep. Instagram and Facebook. I'm, I'm both there. They can look at me there. Those are public pages. So if you want to seek me out and you know yeah. interface a little bit or follow some of the stuff I do, that'd be great. If if I deal with educators who have the the one thing, oh, it answers everything. Sure. I get very nervous very quickly. And what I found with my clients was I got very good at manual therapy. Oh, you're having pain? Where are you having pain? Asking them questions and applying a soft tissue technique that would help them fairly rapidly. That's my current highest skill set. Sure. Now I'm in a place where I have mashed everything in creation <laughs> and I'm looking for more, which is kind of how we fell into, you know, talking and yeah. uh, chatting, conversing. What I find most interesting about what you said about uh, the pitcher will trust you, you know, you're using a hairdryer. Yeah. My clients, I never, uh, when we started talking, you talked about pronation, supination of the foot. And then sure. as you talked about this, you know, Dr. Halasis, I think, and yep. then, then you said, oh, they got a high arch. Those little things are something I notice as an educator because you're using more specific language that would resonate with, say, a personal trainer or a physical therapist. But then the consumer goes, oh, they were just talking about some muscles and the arch of the foot. So it makes it easy for the bus driver to understand what's going yep. on. My clients, I never lorded it over. Um, I never acted like, well, I am Robert Gardner. I have studied for many, you know. It was always like, hey, Frank, what's going on? Oh, man, you're having problems that, like, there's pain running down the back of your leg? Oh, okay. 
And if, let's say he was having a case of piriformis syndrome and I applied sure. a soft tissue technique, worked on his piriformis, and he's like, oh, man, that's amazing. You know, how is that better? And I'd go, Frank, you know, as best as I can understand, and I'd go to the anatomy chart and just yeah. show him. What I found happened was as I worked with clients and they had increasingly challenging problems. So you talked about pictures. It's got to be really challenging. When I hear pictures, I go, oh, shoulder joint, massive yep. rotator cuff, like, you know, intense strain physically on this very specific um, area, a uh, huge range of motion in this single joint on the body. My clients didn't respect me less when I didn't know. Sure. My clients respected me more when I said, listen, this is what I think I understand, but there's this other component. So I'll give you a quick example. I went to San Antonio um, to visit Candace. My uh, colleague who is an acupuncturist had worked mm -hmm. on someone. They were having pain down their leg. He said, Robert, listen, I'd like you to contact this guy, see if he'll get a session so you can deal with your soft tissue component. I think something's going on. Based on what I was hearing, I went, I think he's got a bulging or herniated disc. Mm -hmm. This is just talking to the acupuncturist. I mm -hmm. go in for the session, work with the guy. You know, yeah, he's got a little referred pain from his QL or maybe his piriformis. But, you know, I, and I told him before I ever put hands on him, listen, based on the information you're giving me, I don't, this is not a, um, how do I put this? I'm not prescribing anything. I'm not diagnosing anything. I'm just saying, based on what I've seen in clinical practice, it sounds like you might have a herniated disc or a bulge. Sure. I don't want you to think that's the end of the world. People have herniated discs and bulges and have no pain at all. If that is, in fact, the case, you're probably going to get limited benefit from what I'm about to do. Then you're going to need to go and see the doctor for the scans. And sure enough, he felt better by about two points on a pain scale. Sure. He got a little relief. But went to the doctor two weeks later, messages me and says, hey, you were right. It was a herniated disc. I think his expectation of my professionalism and his opinion of me went up, not because I was trying to rebook him for another session, right. another session, another session. It's that I knew enough about the soft tissue to know, hey, I, I think you're having a deeper issue. I can't manually, you know, yeah. put back in place. Dude, I think it's so important to understand, like, you know, where your, you know, where your work is, you know, the limitations of it. And I want to flirt with the limitations of my work all the time because it's what helps me to get better. Um, but, yeah, I, I think that, yeah, I mean, the funny thing is that we all know as practitioners that if you go see someone – most of the time, oftentimes, you're not going to get a straight answer. And when you do run across someone that gives you a straight answer, it's, and I don't know, is a straight answer, right? It's, it's incredibly freeing. You know, like, so a couple of years ago, I had, a, I had this Saab uh, car. Um, That's and the first was, thing, thing you went wrong on. <laughs> yeah, right. Right? Makes, I don't know a lot about Saabs, but yeah. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah. They're, they're, Saabs are a very finicky group of people, and they're finicky cars. I loved this car. It was fantastic. I bought it off my buddy that was uh, in Wall Street, right? It was on Wall Street. It was perfect. It was a gorgeous car, right? And it was a blast to drive. Um, but all of a sudden, one day, like, it would just started, like, shorting it out. It would just, like... And so I, I, the, best I could, the best I could kind of wrap my brain around was when, like... It, it rained, it would short out. And so I took it to this mechanic who had worked on my other cars. And I was like, dude, I don't know what's going on, but here's the deal. And so we started to kind of go through and try out this thing and nothing was working. And I dumped a little bit of money in this car then. And he looked at me and he goes, I don't know, man. He goes, I'll continue to monkey with it, but I don't know. <laughs> and I went, cool. Well, you're telling me you don't know. Well, and he was kind of the sob guy in the area. He's like, I've got a friend of mine I'll reach out to. And I had more respect for that guy because he told me that he didn't know, right? Then he, you know, if he would have just, and he gave me the option to opt in or out. And one of the things that clients don't get a chance to do or people don't get a chance to do is opt in or out of their health. And as massage therapists, you know, that's one of the things or as, as whatever it is that, that people do, if you spend longer than 20 minutes with a client or a patient, you're massively 
expending the amount of time, you know, uh, that, that, that any other provider is going to. So, you know, like my, again, my wife is a nurse practitioner, um, and in, in the medical industry, you know, uh, nurse practitioners on average kind of spend about 20 minutes with a patient, um, which is, you know, about 15 minutes longer than most doctors do. And so they develop these relationships with their patients, um, and they have far better outcomes. You know, they have, they have, they have, they develop far stronger relationships and we have the opportunity to do that as well. But the other thing that we have the opportunity to do is allow the client to opt in or opt out, right? Like we, we can always give them choice. And I think that's such a strong, powerful thing that, you know, I don't think enough of us realize, and I don't know, but we can still play around with this is a choice. Yeah. The, the I don't know, I, I made an Instagram post the other day because I was working with Kristen Lumsden. Uh, she's like an apprentice, a colleague working with me. And I asked some question and Kristen just goes, I don't know. And I'm like, oh, what a relief. <laughs> because so often teacher-student dynamics, they want you to have an answer. And it's like, guys, 17 years, I have very few solid answers. Sure. I have a whole lot of clinical experience and background, and I can try to explain how that progressed and evolved, kind of like you talked about your education and dealing with clients. But in absolutes, ooh, I get a little nervous about you know that. I, I tell clients all the time, I have lots of ideas. Whether or not they're good ones is up to you. <laughs> right? Like, cause I don't know. And then I had a client the other day, she sits, we were, we were messing around with something and she, she sits down on the stool and she goes, you just experiment all day. Don't you? I was like, yep, that's all I do. I just form theories and we test them out. And the bonus, the bonus is if you give the brain good things, feedback will be instant. Like if you, if you reintroduce a movement pattern to a client or you do you know, a really good release, the feedback is going to be instant. Your client will get up and go, oh, look, that's better. Oh, sh what happened there? You know? Um, and so, if, and, and that's also like, again, it's testing the limits of your work all the time, constantly. Um, and, and that's how you continue to grow. And then, you're, again, your client, when you're asking your client their feedback on a regular basis, they're they're becoming invested in the process. Now, not everybody loves that, you know, um, and not everybody loves that style of, of practice and not everybody loves that style of work. Like, you know, one of the reasons that I work with athletes is because athletes are be used to being coached. They're used to very fiery, intense personalities. So it works really well for me in my own personality. Um, there's other people like uh, I subleased from a Pilates instructor who's more of a movement coach now as well, or movement re-educator and her clients and, and my clients, like Marsha could work with my clients, but I couldn't work with her clients because my personality is just, we're polar opposites. You know, I think when it comes to the personality component, um, we're both generally big fans of social media and getting our face in front of people to hear us talk about our things, write blog posts, video. Sure. Um, I realize at some point, I, I make a lot of cor correlations between romantic relationships and dating. I just understood I am not for everybody. Yes. Romantically and in business. Yes. But if you continue to put out information to a larger and larger audience and allow your people to contact you, then you're able to, I think, be more authentic. You're able to ask the questions you need. You're able to continue to explore, which sounds like for you is just the same as me. Like you have a tendency to want to continue to evolve and you need a certain sort of client that isn't just a passive service receiver. Yeah, and, and the other thing with putting that content out there, um, one of the reasons that I put content out is so I can practice my pitch and get better at explaining it. Because, like, you know, when you deal with these really, like, heady, complex ideas, you know, my goal is, my goal is to meet my client where they're at. Um, now, in Minneapolis, it's a pretty educated community. But when I was living in Michigan, 20 miles south of Flint, the education level was a little bit different, right? But my goal has always been to meet the client where they're at and then collectively 
because I learn more from my clients than I do from CEU courses, right? Because when you're in the CEU course, everything works. It's all perfect. And you come back and you try it on the first client and you're like, well, shit, that didn't work. What happened? <laughs> and so you, you have to have this ability to, um, to adapt, you know, and, and again, you know, invest your client in it. But the more that you talk about it and Facebook and Instagram give you great platforms to talk about your work and talk about the ideas of your work, the more you talk about it, the easier it becomes to explain because you're getting your reps in explaining it and interfacing with clients. I think looking at it as an art, I feel like some therapists feel like, you know, they're either not good at painting or they're amazing painter. Right. But they don't see Picasso painting every day for 30 or 40 years. And it's like, I'm not a painter, but I guarantee you I can slap paint on a canvas. And if I did every day for 30 years, I would be much better 30 years from now. I think education itself is an ongoing process and they're still thinking, well, like, well, I got my degree, I got my certificate, I got my, and I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm a, I'm a brown belt. I'm a white belt. Yeah. yeah. It's like, for me, that's just not, I mean, no, those are good signifiers. It's a good thing about social proof. I'm not, I'm not downplaying those things. Yeah. I'm saying that, you know, immediately like Krishnamurti is ringing in my head. (laughs) It's like education is a lifelong process. Yeah, it's funny in jiu-jitsu, um, one of the things that I figured out about jiu-jitsu when I went from white to blue belt, and I've been practicing martial arts for 20 years, um, but I wasn't in a belted system. And also, like, I don't think the belted systems work the same way in other systems that they do, like in jiu-jitsu. But, so when you go from blue to purple, you don't actually become a blue belt until you get your purple belt. It means that you've, uh, you've accomplished the things that you need to accomplish, and now you are a blue belt you're ready to move on to the next thing. And, you know, um, just because I look, I know people that, you know, they collect certificates like, you know, classic cars, right. Or comic books, they have 77,000 things and they're not good at any of them. So just because you have the certificate doesn't mean that you actually have proficiency at the thing. Thank you for listening to this episode of the podcast. If you're interested in practicing or learning from Robert Gardner in person, head on over to rgwellness.store. There are a variety of classes listed for the Q4 of 2019. Let's take a look at what we've got. We've got Chicago, Illinois on October 6th. Houston, Texas on October 18th. Christiansburg, Virginia, October 12th. Round Rock, Texas, November 3rd. Yelm, Washington, October 26th. Round Rock, Texas, October 21st. Dallas, Texas, March 29th. And Virginia Beach, Virginia, September 22nd. Check that out. If any of those dates work for you, those are the intro tie classes as well as the Body Workers Conference uh, available to you all through the rgwellness.store. Head on over there and check it out. Thank you. Uh, I'm Robert Gardner, and I'm here with Sean Kitzman. Again, that's seankitzman.com, S-H-A-W-N-K-I-T-Z-M-A-N. You can also find Sean, I believe, on Facebook or Instagram. He has very public profiles, he's told me. And as we uh, continue talking about education and those sort of signifiers, um. I think, Sean, when I've had conversations with you, I think you, very much like I, you have a very uh, curious sense of mentality and learning and growth that's ever-present sort of integration of information from different areas. One of the things that I think was most interesting, we talked about you know stages, right? So I made intro tie, then I made yeah. table tie, then I made phase one, and the students would look at it and go, I don't understand, it keeps changing. And I'm like, oh, my word. Like, I can't, you know, what happens when you listen to Sun Ra? It's right. free jazz. So what happens when you listen to Coltrane? It's, right. like, it's got to improvise. And in fact, as an educator, they need sequences. Yeah, yeah. And, and, it, and I'm almost in this weird process where I've got this, you know, soft tissue techniques that are college level, mobilize the person, change their space and in, in, in space, 
So it's not just prone and supine, one. Sure. At base, using your legs and feet, multiple points of contact, shear, glide, you know, all this stuff. But when they would say, I don't understand, it keeps changing, I would go, okay, listen, so we're an intro tie. I'm teaching you send lines so you understand the basic lines. Sean's lines are shaped differently than mine, are shaped differently than Sarah's. And they go, oh. And I go, yeah, our bodies are different. The size is different. Our mobility, our range of motion is different. Any sequence I teach you is inadequate. Because yes. you're never going to be able to apply the same sequence on every individual. Yes. But can you connect exceedingly deeply with the client and meet them where they're at? That is where the best work happens. Yeah, because it goes back to that idea of the brain, right? Like when so I'll, I've done this before with you know with my work where like I've done my assessment, I've I've interviewed the client. I've done my, you know, both my verbal assessment, my static assessment, my movement assessment, and I've been damn sure that this thing was going to do it, and it didn't. And the reason <laughs> why it didn't is because the brain didn't believe that it was safe. So I, I, I think that the brain, um, I think we, ha we, we have to remember, too, that, like, we're not very far removed from animals. I know we think we are because we got the phone, we got the car, you know, like... <laughs> I know we think we are, but, um, and here's how you see this, like go to a, go to an intro jujitsu class and watch people who are highly evolved creatures go back to very basic functions and fear functions when they're placed on their back and someone's on top of them. Like, I remember talking to this kid when I first moved here to Minnesota, he said, yeah, in foundations, I didn't even know what happened. I just bit the guy. He was that far into his <laughs> reptile brain that he freaked out. Right. Of course, his training partner probably wasn't too happy about it. Yeah. Um, but th so I think the thing that we have to remember when we when we when we dealing with what you're talking about, you know, you're never going to have the perfect thing that fits everybody. We have to remember that amygdala or the reptile brain. I really believe that it, it has like three primary roles. Right. Move the species, protect the species, preserve the species. And I think though they, it goes sequentially. Because the brain knows that if you can't move the species, you're not going to be able to protect the species. If you can't protect the species, you can't preserve the species. So preserving the species is food, shelter, water, reproduction, right? So those three things there are critical. So when, you're, when you do your amazing thing and your client gets up and goes, ah, oh, shit, it still hurts. That's because the brain, the reptile brain, knows that it can't move the species and it's going to flag it. And then here's the hard part about working with athletes. You know, normal people do this too, but athletes are really good at this. They get up and, you know, let's say their shoulder hurt when they did this before, right? They get up and they fling it in 75 million different degrees at 100 miles an hour. They go, oh, yeah, that feels good. Ah, but this hurts. Because it goes back to they know their job as an athlete is to move. And so they know that this is the next place that we, the brain is telling us this. It's not that they've told you that, oh, well, your, your work isn't good. It's now the brain goes, oh, this is, this is where it is now. So we need to sort this out. And so it just goes back to the you, – you, we have to remember the brain is the important thing, you know? When, when Iyengar would talk – and Iyengar is the alignment guy yep, with sure. the yeah, yeah. yoga. And then Iyengar, as he worked with Westerners like me who were tight and restricted and whatever, he gave them props. Yep, yep. And then the more I looked at that, and it was like everybody kind of complained, like, well, the props make people lazy. And then Yengar would say, you know, he would say something mildly philosophical, like it was awakening their intelligence. Yeah. And I'm like, you crafty little asshole. Yep. You, you were putting an input into the student's nervous yep. system so they could work on themselves. And then in combination with the breathing, let's say you were having a problem, you know, you could kind of, oh, you could press into the tricep and oh right I, there yeah that whatever that is yeah um, within my practice because again i was kind of taking time massage and yoga and kind of yeah crafting it somewhere like it was hard for me to explain the sort of the freedom i felt in my nervous system by comfortably putting myself in a position to lengthen a tight restricted muscle yeah yep. to be able to then breathe which yep. again does what parasympathetic sympathetic nervous system 
lowers my heart rate, lowers my anxiety, you know, and it says, hey, this is safe. And then all of a sudden it was like, oh, yeah, no, my arm can move that way. Again, sort of, you know, awakening the intelligence. I was yep. like, you're just retraining their nervous system, man. <laughs> yeah. But, and, and, yeah. and the thing, the thing is that, you know, we, as Westerners, we like to look at things as exercise and not practice. Right. So yeah. when I talk to my clients about doing something, so I do, um, here's one of my favorite things to do with people that have like, let's say they have like sciatic pain. Um, so I'll go through palpate looking for, uh, crushes or, you know, places where you have nerve compression or entrapment, however you want to define that, um, where they get referred pain, like referred nerve pain. Uh, one of my, and so it's very prevalent in the psoas because, you know, the psoas is kind of a big muscle, kind of attaches on the spine a bunch, kind of has a bunch of nerve innervation there. So um, what I like to do is put them on a bolster, get them all bolstered up, teach them to start to build a three-dimensional breath for about four or five minutes. I'll manually muscle test them as well. They'll have that weak psoas plus the crushes. So that 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 muscle is now neurologically downregulated, right? Um so then I'll, I'll have them breathe a little bit, come back, repalpate, and magically enough, that, that nerve sensation has decreased. And then, you know, the test tests far, far, far stronger. I have done no intervention. It's been all them. And then that helps them to understand, like, oh, maybe I need to do something with this breath thing. And then what I'll do is I'll show them some real basic psoas activation as well because the psoas needs to be stronger because, yeah. you know, again – you know, we, well, so, you know, uh, uh, short and tight doesn't mean strong and, you know, short and tight can be very weak as well. And that's yeah. another thing that we need to kind of wrap our brains around as an industry. Um, yeah. but, but, you know, what, what Iyengar was doing, um, and I, so I had a, uh, an Iyengar, uh, instructor for about a year and a half, um, in Michigan. And, uh, she was really funny cause she was like, a, a, like she was a, like a, dogmatic Iyengar instructor they up are. until right around the time that I met her yeah. and she was starting to look outside of it a little bit. So she was really starting and like she was dogmatic for like 20 years. Right. Um, so, and I actually let her borrow my uh, Feldenkrais book, uh, uh, awareness through movement. And she just came back and each week I would see her and she was a very private person. Like I never wanted to like, she was very classical. Right. Um, did she would say, Sean, after class, let's talk, you know, and we would talk about stuff. And, and so, but one of the things that I really picked up with her from her was, was propping and the use of props. And then my friend, Marsha, who I sublease from, um, she's been through Katie, Katie Bowman's restorative exercise program and Katie Bowman props, you know, the res or RES or res, uh, practitioners prop a bunch so that they can provide those safe spaces for their brain. Oh, again, 17 years and it, it's on one level, it feels so complex. Like, in other words, I go and teach beginning students sure. and what massage therapists are doing in class. They're just like, oh my God, what is this guy do? This is crazy. It's like the side on a table, the person's clothes. It looks like, it looks like Brazilian jujitsu yeah, yeah, on the outside. Yeah, yeah. But for me, I'm like, no, I just move the person around and deliver a tissue technique. And they're like, well, how do you know where to press? I'm like, I communicate with the person. And they're like... <laughs> Whoa, like you're not just delivering a service. And it's like, right. no, but I'm so painfully aware of what I don't know. Sure. And I'm, I'm not willing to just be blind. Uh, like I'm having, because uh, I had just a, a podcast with Walt Fritz. He's talking about pain science community and dermo neuromodulating uh -huh. and then they're contentious and other groups. And I'm reading stuff in Facebook and I'm not willing to just accept somebody's camp. Sure, but I'm I'm so much more willing to study with someone like you, just because I can tell you you don't I can tell you don't have a strict top down model. Do what I tell you. I right. know best. I'm the guru. I've figured out the truth, and that's where I think things shift. I, I trust educators who understand. Oh, okay. Well, I know this much. I think based on my clinical practice, but there's this ton of stuff I don't know. If you if you sat down and had a conversation with Bill Nye, the science guy, <laughs> Alton Brown, Neil deGrasse Tyson, and sure. said, hey, tell me about quasars. And he's like, well, I mean, we know this. But he's like, oh, yeah, there's all this. We don't, we don't know about dark energy. We don't <laughs> – you know, there's stuff we're still trying to figure out. Sure. 
I feel so much more comfortable in that I don't know space. You know, yeah, it's like the, asking the, good questions. The thing about it is, is that, like, when we look at PT, right, we think it's like this thousand-year-old practice. It's at best 60 years old. At best. The human body, I, this is going to be shocking to everybody, has been around for longer than 60 years, right? <laughs> like, you know, I mean, that's, like, it's been around for a long time. And we've developed these very, I mean, the reason why a lot of this is so complex is because when you're working with clients, when you're working with humans, it's the most complex machine on the face of the planet. So it's going to be at times difficult. You know, like my friend Marsha, who I sublease from, I take a lot of stuff from her. So I tell clients all the time, right? Like I don't actually have original thoughts. I just steal shit from Marsha and then take stuff from Gary's work right now. Like that's my thing, right? Because no, you, you'll never know everything. It's not possible. And you can only like fit so much in your cup before it runneth over. And then, you know, like there's only so many things that you can be good at one time. You, you have to test your edges. If you yeah. don't test your edges, you don't improve. So uh, I'm not a martial arts practitioner. I have considered getting into Brazilian jiu-jitsu for a lot of very specific reasons. But I also assume, do you improve as a Brazilian jiu-jitsu practitioner by competing with people who are of not as same skill? Yeah, no, you so, get better by, against people that are better than you. Yeah, so there's this really interesting thing. So, um, so here's the time where I talk that people who don't care about jiu-jitsu can watch this for insomnia and they'll go to sleep. Um, <laughs> so Mar Marcelo Garcia is, the, is widely regarded as uh, you know, the, um, the goat in, in competitive jiu-jitsu, modern competitive jiu-jitsu. So if there's a couple jiu-jitsu people out there, yes, I understand Hickson was really good as well. But I'm just talking about Marcelo because it's a, it's, a, it's a fair comparison. Marcelo says that when you try, learn a new technique, he, when he learns something new, he always goes to try it on the white belts. So then he can figure out the pieces of it that work, and then he'll do it on the blue belts, and then he'll do it on the purple belts. Because there's, there's this hierarchy of, of body awareness that they have. And then sometimes it's really weird. Like, you'll get a white belt or, or someone who's not as good as you are, and man, you've nailed this technique on, on upper belts. And somehow, some way, this person innately just has this squirmy nature and they get out of it with something that you've never seen before, you know, because they're a novice. Yeah. And so that's just like clients, you know, like clients do the same thing. They, they present us with challenges that you cannot understand. Like, it's a funny thing. So what I'll do is I'll have my clients film me doing their homework, coaching them through the homework. It's a video with audio it's not hieroglyphics and the things that they come back with i don't know what they were watching but it sure <laughs> in the hell wasn't what i was doing but that's just how their brain orientated the movement pattern and then what we do is we refine that you know like I, i'm amazed by it i'm like and with my clients that i have good relationships with i was like are you sure you watched what we talked about at the end of last session you know, and then we'll kind of have a laugh about it and then we'll go through it again. But it's just all how their brain orientates. And sometimes it's ways that you could never predict. Most of what I teach in table tie, my table tie massage class, is a Frankenstein of what you can do on a mat on the table. Right. And I've learned over time because of core curriculum and sort of massage culture, I go in, talk to the students, and I go, how many of you or how often do you use sideline? <laughs> Two people out of 20 will raise their hand and say only when the person's pregnant. And I go, oh, wow. Like there's an entire primary position on the table they don't even use. Right. They're not even ready for right. mat-based work. Like mat-based work to me isn't prone to pine seated sideline. It's like move the person around in gravity and address what needs to be addressed. <laughs> Perfect. All right. So listen, Sean, I had a great time uh, chatting with you uh, today. Again, we can um, probably talk to Trent to try to figure out another time to do this semi-regularly. Yeah. Uh, 
there's always going to be more. And I think as we do this continually, there'll be more depth in yeah. what we're discussing. But I was really anxious to uh, have you on to be able to discuss these things. Again, people can find you. Uh, tell them where. Yeah, you can find me on my website, seankitzman.com, S-H-A-W-N-K-I-T-Z-M-A-N.com. And then you can find me on Instagram and Facebook um, under the same thing. Um, and, you know, you can you can kind of navigate through those channels to, to get to, to me a little bit more intimately, I guess, if you want to. So if I remember correctly earlier, you're seeing clients, but you're also doing coaching for massage therapists. Are you yep. teaching CE classes of any sort? Am I teaching what? Continuing education classes? Not at the moment. My friend Marsha and I are actually un- in the process of putting together an assessment course um, that would in- in, uh, entail um, static movement and palpation. So, because I think it's a really, it's a really tough, it's something that massage therapists or most people don't actually get much into that way. Yeah. So we're, we're kind of putting our two brains together. Well, she's putting a lot more of her brain together than I am. I just kind of like sprinkle things in there sometimes. I just wanted to make sure that uh, viewers knew how they could reach you in the services yep. you were providing. Well, listen, I'll talk to you again soon. And yeah, thank thanks, you buddy. so much for coming on and we'll uh, see you soon. Thanks, man.